Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Well, the, the topic we're going to get into today, uh, it is a challenging one. And as was mentioned in our, our welcome, uh, some of what's going to be shared today, it's uh, probably not fit for younger ears. So we really do encourage, uh, if there's any parents with younger kids in the room, um, we've got awesome kids' classes. And we just would love to encourage you to, to have your kids join them today. Uh, because the justice issue we're going to look at today is, is that of abortion. And I, and I realize in a room this size, uh, with our service streamed online, there's likely some who are listening who have uh, participated in an abortion. So this topic could be very personal for some. And the very mention of the subject can bring pain to you. So from the start, I want to say, there is grace and healing available in Jesus' name. Amen. There is and yet, as followers of Jesus, it's important we consider what Jesus thinks about the unborn, and really about life in general. Uh, I shared in our message on Jesus and justice that what I have found speaking in churches across our nation is, is that location and demographics have a significant influence regarding the kinds of issues that matter most to particular congregations. That whenever I have spoken in a more politically conservative area, issues related to the right for life or expression of human sexuality, they, they seem to, to matter the most to those audiences. And, and whenever I was in a more politically liberal area, issues of, of race and poverty were of utmost importance. But as we've seen over the course of the last several months, all of these issues matter to Jesus. All of them do. Not, not just a couple here and a couple there. All of these issues matter to Jesus. We've, we've covered them in the course of this Better Together message series. And so I'd encourage you, if you've missed any of those, please go back. Because our heart in this series is that we've got a firm foundation for our lives. Not influenced by the world around us, but communicated to us by the word of God. This is foundation. Rock is there. Sand is everywhere else. And so we want you to be rooted today. And God's view regarding sexuality, life, marriage, race, poverty, compassion, or, or anything else that we could think about or talk about, God's view on it is what's most important. And if you've missed any of our messages, I, I do want to encourage you to go back. Go back. Because we want you on the rock. I, I've, I've shared, uh, and I'll share it again here, that uh, Shelly and I have found in the last year and a half that a lot more people had sand in the foundation than they probably realized. And it was a gift of God that he would reveal that to us so we could shore up those foundations. But we've got to view it that way. And so that's what I want us to be able to do. And, and so then the question this morning is, is what does God have to say about the life of the unborn? It's a question we want to consider as we, we take a look at Jesus in life. So if you have your Bibles, I do hope you do. We're going to be in Luke chapter one today. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to take a look at verses 39 through 45. So Luke chapter 1, I'm going to let you find it. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you. You're welcome to use that today. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. 
The reason we stand for the reading of God's word is I always want to make sure we understand this word is our authority. It is, it is what instructs us and, and it stands outside of any moral bounds that we might want to put on things. And that's what we need if we're really going to have a life rooted in God and a life that matters. And so I want to make sure that we always highlight that God's word is so important in our life. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 39. And I think I'm reading through verse 45. I am. All right, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. I think what's hard for me to reconcile this morning is is that we are a nation that promotes humanitarianism on so many different levels. And not just here in our nation, but in nations around the world. Shelley and I have seen that in our time overseas. And at the core and founding, we have these famous words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, And they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life. So it's hard for me to reconcile some of what we see in our our nation today. Where do we think the phrase, all men are created equal, came from? Genesis chapter 1. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's where that comes from. So then it's hard for me to understand how a nation that had that kind of start has now over the past uh, 48 years, since the ruling of Roe v. Wade, condoned the deaths of over 62 million unborn babies. So in the next few moments together, what I'd like to talk with you about is answer four questions. First of all, what is abortion? We need to understand that today. Second, what does scripture say about abortion? Third, what should a person do if they've had an abortion or participated in an abortion? And then lastly, what can we do as followers of Jesus? What can we do as a church? So I want to start with the question, what is abortion? Abortion, by definition, is the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy resulting in the death of the baby. According to the center's For disease control, nearly 700,000 babies are aborted each year in the U.S. But we know that number is not accurate because states are not required to report abortions. And several states don't. States like California, Maryland, and New Hampshire. So whatever numbers we are given, we know that they fall short of what's really happening across our nation. We can go online and see the abortion rates of various states. In the District of Columbia... The place where our national government resides, there's an abortion rate of 38% of all pregnancies end in abortion. In New York State, 
33% of pregnancies, one third, they end in abortion. For Indiana, maybe you're wondering, in, in 2020, 9% of all pregnancies end in an abortion, which I don't think is anything to be proud of because it still was 8,000 unborn babies aborted in their state last year. In a report published by the CDC in 2018, almost 19% of pregnancies end in abortion across our nation every year. And in that same report, the CDC reported 38% of all abortions were done chemically. That means in the first trimester, in the first seven to nine weeks of pregnancy, medication was given to induce a miscarriage. And that might not seem like a big uh, deal until you consider that at that point in the pregnancy, this is what we know about the life of that baby. At that point, the baby's already sucking its thumb, recoiling from pricking, responding to sound. All of the baby's organs are present. The brain is functioning. The heart is beating. The liver is making blood cells. The kidneys are cleaning fluids. And the baby has fingerprints. The baby's genetic code is uniquely and unquestionably human. That same CDC report noted 62% of all abortions were surgical. And primarily, there's, there's two kinds of surgical procedures. The first procedure, called the DNE, dilation and evacuation, is done where the cervix is dilated and surgical instruments such as forceps, vacuum, aspiration, and scraping tools. They're used to remove the infant from the womb. Second procedure is the partial birth abortion, done at the end of the second trimester, throughout the, the third trimester. In this procedure, the doctor pulls the living baby. Feet first from the womb. And while the head is still in the birth canal, a long hollow tube called a trocar is inserted into the baby's head. The brain is suctioned out, causing the skull to collapse. In some states, this has been legalized up until birth. In talking about these things, I want to say it is not my desire to be graphic. If I'm honest, I left out most of the details. Uh, it was a hard week digging into this stuff. I honestly don't even encourage you to do it. But I think we need to more clearly understand the absolute depravity of what's going on in our nation as it relates to the unborn. This was really hard for me this week. It's like that's a level of hard-heartedness that is hard for me to understand. Sadly, in our nation today, it is possible for us to do to a baby what we would not even consider to do to a lobster or a turtle. You might not know this, but in Massachusetts, it's illegal to ship pregnant lobsters because it might injure the baby lobsters. In Florida, destroying sea turtle eggs could get you prison time and a fine of $100 per egg. The Wildlife Restoration Act, it lists protections for various birds. For example, if you move a chickadee nest or a mourning dove nest, you can receive six months in jail and a fine of up to $15,000 for disturbing the eggs. And I bring this up because it reveals how backward we've become as a nation. We've substituted light for dark and good for evil. The fallout for women is especially hard. Researchers in Finland found a strong statistical association between abortion and suicide. It's actually very difficult to find these kinds of studies being done in our nation 
because it's politically incorrect to even suggest the abortion would cause the woman any harm. But in Finland, the suicide rate for women following an abortion is three times higher than if they would have had a regular birth or no pregnancy at all. In a 2010 study published in the Canadian Journal of Psychiatry, women who underwent an abortion had a 98% increased risk for mental health disorders compared to women who had not had an abortion. The same study showed that women who had an abortion experienced a 59% increased risk for suicidal thoughts, a 61% increased risk for mood disorders, a 61% increased risk for social anxiety disorders, a 261% increased risk for alcohol abuse, a 280% increased risk for non-alcohol substance abuse. What women in our country are not being told is abortion has profound effects on a woman's mental health. And how could it not? According to the Allen Guttmacher Institute, which is the research arm for Planned Parenthood, women have an abortion for the following reasons, of which they had the option to select a couple of different reasons. So it's not everything adds up to 100%. They could have selected a couple of things. Uh, they found 1% are victims of incest or rape. 12% had fetal abnormalities. 25% don't want people to know that they're pregnant. 48% said they didn't want to be a single parent or they had problems in their current relationship. 73% stated they could not afford a child. And 74% said the child would interfere with their lives. And of course the argument is that women should have the right to choose what they do with their bodies. Women should not be limited by law. Yet every day in America, men and women are limited by laws regarding what they can do with their body, especially as it relates to how that impacts others. A man or a woman can choose to be a prostitute with their bodies, but if they make that choice, they can be put in jail or fined. There's limits on what we can legally do with our bodies. No person can choose to use their body to overpower someone else and commit murder. If someone puts particular drugs into their body or sells them to someone else, they'll be arrested. They can be arrested. There's lots of ways that we limit choice for people through laws in our nation, mostly in an attempt to keep people from harming themselves or others. That's not unique. And I would say it's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The overarching issue as it relates to abortion is no one has the right to take human life. No one. But what if the mother's life is in danger? I've heard people bring that up as well. Any doctor I've talked to would agree with what former Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. C. Everett Koop wrote when he said this, in my 35 years of medicine, never once did a case come to my practice where abortion was necessary to save the life of the mother. Basically, that's really a false argument. It's a bit of a misnomer. Another argument is tied to when life begins. For years, abortion proponents have denied that life begins at conception and have sought to dehumanize the infant in the womb. But here's what's interesting. Our progress in DNA research has all but silenced that argument. Life clearly begins at conception. Uh, we'll see in a moment that scripture teaches this concept and science eventually catches up to what scripture says. Dr. Jerome Lejeune, a doctor of fundamental genetics, and he's not a Christian, here's what he said. Life has a very, very long history, but each individual has a very neat beginning, the moment of its conception. The material link is the molecular thread of DNA. 
In each reproductive cell, this ribbon, roughly one meter long, is cut into pieces. Each segment's carefully coiled and packaged so that under the microscope it appears like a rod of chromosome. As soon as the 23 paternally derived chromosomes are united through fertilization to the 23 maternal ones, the full genetic information necessary and sufficient to express all the inborn qualities of the new individual is gathered. The new being begins to express himself or herself as soon as they've been conceived. Geneticists, they know this. We have a person at conception, biologically, genetically, spiritually, it's a person. To accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new person has come into being, it's not a matter of personal opinion or political platform. It's not. Life begins at conception. And I would say this, those who support abortion, they actually know this. John Piper, a well-known pastor in Minneapolis, he writes this, I took an abortionist out for lunch once and prepared to give him 10 reasons why the unborn are human beings. He stopped me and said, I know that. We are killing children. I was stunned, John Piper writes. He said, as the abortionist continues, it's simply a matter of justice for women. It would be a greater evil to deny women the equal right of reproductive freedom. And this is how, that view, this is how you can have people cheering, like people in New York did a couple of years ago, when they pass a law that allows for babies to be killed, even if they've survived an abortion. Because the issue has never really been about whether or not an infant in the womb is a person. It's always been about not letting a baby get in the way of a person's reputation or self-interests. So what is abortion? Abortion is the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy resulting in the death of the baby. Now what does scripture have to say about abortion? It says a lot. We know that scripture has much to say about life and God's creation. We've talked about a number of those verses already as we've worked through this series. And the first thing we find as it relates to scripture is God personally and individually creates every human life. It's so important. God personally and individually creates every human life. God didn't just set things in motion in Genesis in the Garden of Eden and then just walk away. He didn't do that. God has continued to be actively involved in every single person who's ever been created. In Genesis chapter four, here's what we find. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. God was involved. Genesis chapter 21, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. God promised her it would happen and he kept his word. He made it happen. God was involved. Genesis chapter 25, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. Every life begins because God has ordained it. Every life. Job understood this. He says to God, you formed me with your hands. You made me, yet now you completely destroy me. So again, Job is having this, this hard conversation with God. Remember that you made me from dust. You will turn me back to dust. You guided my conception. You formed me in the womb. You clothed me with skin and flesh, and you knit my bones and sinews together. In the mother's womb, 
God is at work, forming, shaping, making every single person. God is right there bringing it all together. The point is this, that baby in the womb is created by God. It's not a blob, it's not a mass, it's not a tissue. It is a person created by God in the image of God. It's what it is. And now someone might say, well, if that's true, what about birth defects? What about miscarriages? What about stillborn babies? Exodus chapter four, verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? The Lord is talking to Moses right here. Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? We find in John chapter nine, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So this is Jesus now. He's passing by a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Look, we can't understand everything in this life, but even the child who's struggling with disabilities, they are still fearfully and wonderfully made. And a person made in the image of God with the ability to display the mighty works of God in and through their lives. Every one of them. They are worthy of dignity and honor and should not be discarded through abortive means or any other way. God is the maker. He is the giver of life. And when a pregnancy ends in miscarriage or stillborn babies, God is still there. He's there in the middle of it to comfort us. Shelly and I have experienced multiple miscarriages. We've journeyed with friends who have dealt with infertility and stillborn births. And again, we won't always understand, but we can be sure. We can be sure that God can work even in those difficulties in our lives as a testimony to the world that we can still put our faith in God and he can still provide peace that this world doesn't understand. We know this. Psalm 100 relates, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. God made you. God cares about you. You are valuable because God has been there right from the very beginning watching you. I want you to think about that this morning. Psalm 139, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb, the psalmist writes. God didn't just put all the biological pieces together to make it all happen. He's right there in the middle of it all, assisting creation. Further down, Psalm 139, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. And I don't know about you, but this should really encourage us this morning and give us a great sense of eternal purpose and divine comfort. If God was watching over us, he saw us before anyone saw us, assisting in our creation. He knew us before anyone else knew us. And if we believe this and we understand God loves us, he has a plan for us, God cares for us, and he wants to be in your life. This is what gives every person such incredible worth, that we were made in the image of God and we're personally being cared for by him. 
And you might think, well, I, I just don't understand how that could even be possible. Of course not. The writer of Ecclesiastes, he says the same thing. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Of course we can't understand it. I don't understand how it works, but I know this. I don't have to understand it to know it's true. We already established the validity of scripture with the message on Jesus and scripture last October. I don't have to know how it works to know that God does work. God sees and he's at work. Going back to the passage we opened with this morning from Luke chapter one. Mary, pregnant with Jesus by the Holy Spirit, this miraculous conception. She then goes to visit her relatives, Elizabeth and Zachariah, who are also expecting. And upon entering their house, the baby that Elizabeth is carrying, someone will later know as John the baptizer. He leaps in Elizabeth's womb. At this point, Jesus has basically just been conceived within days or weeks of his conception. He's in Mary's womb. And Elizabeth, now six months pregnant, John in her womb. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, scripture says. And I'm sure it was uncomfortable. (laughs) But I love this, John in the womb was doing in the womb what he would later do as a full grown man. John was not a nameless, impersonal tissue. He was a prophet celebrating the coming of the Messiah because the Messiah was there in Mary. So what does that tell us? It tells us we may not remember our time in the womb, but that doesn't mean we weren't aware in the womb. Life is happening there. God creates personally and individually every human life. And no human being has the right to end another human being's life. Something else we need to understand from scripture is that God judges nations who stain their land with murder. This is deeply troubling as I was going through this message this week. Because what we find in scripture is any nation that has supported or condoned violence toward infants has been judged by God in drastic ways. And so I would say to that end, our nation's in a bit of trouble. In Psalm 106, it recounts the nation of Israel and what they did and the judgment they experienced. The psalmist writes, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to false gods, and really, it's infants. They sacrificed their infants to false gods. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was desecrated. The land was stained by their blood. They killed their infants. God judged them. But how does murder desecrate or stain the land? We better understand this when we look at the first murder in Scripture found in Genesis chapter 4. It says, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded, am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So there is a cry that goes out from those who've been murdered, when their murderer is not brought to justice. This is a spiritual principle. And as a nation, we've ultimately rejected 
what is a high regard or sanctity for life and substituted it with the pursuit of what we might call a quality or convenience of life. And what the pursuit we now have with that pursuit, the blood of over 62 million babies staining our land, this is incredibly concerning to me. This should cause all of us to get on our knees and say, Jesus, forgive us. Have mercy on us. God, help us. Because scripture has a lot to say about the life of the unborn. But now what should a person do if they've had or participated in an abortion? It's a good question. I would suggest that in an audience like this, either in person or online, this could apply to many today. So I don't want you to feel alone in this. What I do want you to hear is we're not angry with you today. No one is pointing a finger at you. We want to say there's a God who forgives. He's gracious. He's loving. He forgives all sin. There is not a sinless person among us today. And so we can all be grateful that he's gracious, he's loving, and that he forgives all sin. And he does only what he can do by removing our sin as far as the east is from the west. They never touch. And the good news of the gospel is his grace is greater than any sin. His grace is greater. And you might say, well, what should I do? What we should all do. Acknowledge our sin, ask God's forgiveness, and then walk in that grace and forgiveness. And I'll say it might only be something you're able to do once you understand how magnificent he is. That's why we come in this place and sing about him. He is magnificent. And when you understand that, then you can more freely walk in his grace and forgiveness because he freely offers it to us. So following our message today, we'll have our prayer team members, so I'm letting our prayer team members know this in advance. I'm gonna ask them to come back. And I wanna encourage you, let's pray today. May this be a house of healing. That's been my prayer this week. I want this house to be a house of healing today. We want you to know we love you and there's grace and healing available to everyone today. And then the last thing is, well, what can we do as a church? What can we do as a church? Proverbs 31 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. This principle that we talked about We shared the same verse in our message on Jesus and compassion. And it applies here as well, speaking up for the helpless. That's just a a spiritual principle. Now now to be clear, I want to make sure that we're clear on this this morning. We don't condone hatred or violence against those who perform abortions. Their clinics or those who would seek an abortion. We don't do that. There's absolutely no place for that in the kingdom of God. But what we must do is pray. That's what kingdom people do. We pray. And what I have found interesting is it seems a lot easier to get people to picket and protest than to get people to pray. I don't understand that. But I want you to know the power of prayer far exceeds that of protesting and picketing. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for people who perform abortions, people who are seeking an abortion. And then on the flip side of that, we need to pray for our pregnancy care centers, ones like Matrix that we have locally here. We need to pray. Number two, I would say we need to consider adoption. This is why I love Gifts of Grace Adoption Support Center. We've had a number of families in our church adopt. That's actually part of what Connection Point Church does. And that was before we ever came. We've got a lot of people here who have been a part of adoption. 
So I would encourage us, let's pray about adopting children who need a home. Number three, we can partner with our local crisis pregnancy care center, Matrix Life Care Center. They do a tremendous job. Shelly and I went and visited with them earlier this year. They've got a mobile unit. It's sitting outside today where women who are considering abortion, they can go in and receive an ultrasound and see their baby. So I encourage you on your way out today, go visit that mobile unit. You can also pick up, they've got baby bottles at the exit doors for us to be able to donate toward the work that they're doing. I think that's worth our time, effort, energy, and resources. We've actually got a number of people in our church that both work there and volunteer there. Why? Because this issue matters. So you can join them. It's important we speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, the unborn, by praying, by adopting, and partnering with Matrix. Because scripture tells us that before God formed us in our mother's womb, he knew us. Before we were born, we were set apart. And that's not just for us, that's every baby conceived in our nation in the world. So I'm gonna invite you to be a part of making a difference for the unborn. And I wanna invite you to stand today as we close in song here in just a moment. I mentioned earlier in the message, I wanna close by having our music team come, they'll, they'll lead us in song, but our prayer team members, if you guys wanna start making your way to the front, I want this house to be a house of healing today. Whether you're dealing with miscarriage, infertility, Whatever God's dealing with in your heart, come forward for prayer. Come forward for prayer no matter what your issue is pertaining to this message today. This house should be a house of healing. And maybe that's not where you find yourself today, but I would say we all should be praying for our nation. So if you're not going up to meet with one of our prayer team members today, I encourage you, turn your seat into an altar. Turn your couch into an altar if you're at home. Turn these stairs into a place where we can gather and pray and pray that God starts to turn the hearts of our nation. But first of all, he's got to work on our hearts, right? It always starts with us. It always starts with the church. So I want to encourage us to come. Come and receive prayer for healing. Come and receive, uh, or may the Lord propel us. My prayer was this morning, God, give us a heart for intercessory prayer for our nation. Our nation needs it. And it comes down to us. I shared a message, I think it was about four years ago now. When the election was going to happen uh, between uh, President Trump and, and, and Hillary Clinton, and there was lots of concerns about things going on in our land. And I spoke from Second Chronicles, where it says, our land is healed when his people pray. Not when people outside these walls change, when we change. Yeah. That the issue actually rests with us. So what my encouragement is this morning is we need to respond and be people of prayer. I firmly believe part of what God was wanting to do this last year and a half is to let the church rise up and be a people who prays and sees the land changed. So the invitation is for all of us this morning to come forward for prayer for healing, to come and pray for our nation. You can do that where you're at as well, wherever you find a comfortable space to do that today. But music team, as they come, let's pray. Music team, can you come?